All right, welcome back everybody to the SNC podcast. Today we have uh, someone, a friend, mentor of mine that uh, was in person with a couple of weeks ago. Keith Alpert out of Massachusetts runs the uh, Athletes brand and is, uh, in my mind, someone who doesn't have as big of a following as they should, um, just probably due to a lack of effort in putting out in you spent more time on learning the actual stuff than I have. And I've spent more time on trying to build a following online. So we're glad to finally have you on. Uh, thanks for coming on Keith. Thanks for having me. Uh, I always like to do things backwards. What can I tell you? <laughs> well, it, it's worked out because now, now me and Steph can do our best to help you. So it's, uh, let me, let me start off with, with this. I, in in my mind, it when we first met and the way I kind of got introduced to your stuff was always through the lens of Charles Poliquin that you, you worked with him for so long. But recently, one of the things I've tried to do and that I've realized is putting your stuff separate from Charles. Not that you didn't learn a ton. Everybody's learned a lot from Charles, but it's what you do from coming and spending the time with you for three or four days or whatever it was you have your own kind of style of doing stuff that's almost seems magical at times. So it wasn't really a question, but that's, I had that thought in my mind for a long time, but it's, it's something that I've tried to get away from that. Did that make sense? Weird way to start it, but. Yeah, no, I think, uh, I think uh, the deal is, is that uh, yes, I've had many mentors. Charles was the most important mentor out of everybody. Uh, ironically, somebody uh, who I worked with years ago actually commented that all I did was ever learn from Charles Poliquin, which uh, is a joke because, uh, and Charles would have said to me, uh, he always said, you should learn from this, from this person and this from that person. And I took that to heart where uh, Charles developed a wonderful uh, way and logical way of understanding how to create strength training programs. And that's very important. But you have to have the knowledge behind you so that you can put together appropriate strength training programs within that type of structure. And that's what I think is uh, missing a little bit. And uh, I'm fortunate I've been around for a long time. And because of the Charles connection, I've been able to meet a lot of people directly and then indirectly. We will, you, you'll always find various pathways. And those pathways will take you and allow you to be uh, take great information, whether it's with what uh, ATG is doing between what uh, – Ben Patrick's thinking and Keegan Smith's thinking and Ben Clarfield's thinking. Ben was obviously influenced heavily by Charles. And be able to take your own pathway within that concept because everybody's situation is different. The way Ben's going to do things in his facility and how he's going to run it is, and, and this is where I think Matthew got the probably the biggest aha. Uh-huh and he also caught me with a lot of in-season people, and how I'm going to do it is going to be different. 
So you're going to run into your own situation. So uh, uh, Matthew, uh, being in the soccer world, is going to uh, uh, going to morph into a coach that relates to his niche and his avatar in a way that makes sense to him. And he's going to take all the information he gets and apply it as he sees fit into the situation that develops. My situation was developed when at first uh, my older brother and I worked with professional basketball players for many, many years. And we only had six to 12 weeks to work with them. And we had a kind of learn over time to clean up last year's mess and still have the time to get them ready and move them forward for next year's uh, job and situation. Because every year there's a whole new group of athletes that they're competing against. And it's going to be no different in soccer and no different in any other situation. And if you want to stay ahead and be able to move up in the world on a professional level, you have to do it. And more recently, I've dealt with younger athletes where they have to put themselves on the map sooner than they did when I was a high school kid and show upward level mobility faster. They have to, because coaches are recruiting kids now when they're in ninth grade, 10th grade, or when they're 14, 15 years old. And it used to be that they would, it, because they didn't have the information, people are putting their videos out and you're seeing kids in the seventh and the eighth grade and they're extrapolating to how they might look when they're 19, 20 years old. And everybody is also taking this information and we're not the only information that's out there. There are a lot of good coaches and have different ways that they do things and kids are working hard and to get them to move above and beyond, they have to improve at a higher rate than their competitors are improving. And so they need great stuff and they have to have a great strategy going forward. Now, one thing that hasn't changed that I've been dealing with recently personally is that the kids will still get together with their friends and they go to the gym to work out and everybody still wants to see how much they can bench press. That has not changed since I was a kid. So we're talking 40 years now. I hate to say it's been 40 years, but 40 years since I turned 18. And actually to be anal, 40 plus years. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> so kids don't understand nowadays is that if you're maxing out or you're doing low reps all the time because you want to get stronger, Yes, you'll get stronger in the short term, but at the expense of putting on size. So uh, coaches are looking at, is the kid big enough to play for me or physical enough? And they don't look at a simple fact, because the, the kids aren't exposed to this, that if a kid has no experience in a weight room, they're training at even 70% of their capability, and in this case, one rep max, so if they're bench pressing 100 pounds, that... 70 pounds for multiple sets of reps will get them stronger and at the same time will help them to begin to build some muscle tissue. Obviously, we don't want them benching 100 forever, but they'll get stronger. 
and at the same time take care of the fact that they need to get bigger and need to get bigger in a way where uh, they're more athletic as they get bigger. Because if you put 20 pounds on a 30 or 40 or 50, which I have ex many examples of doing over the last four or five years, but half of it is fat, we're not doing them any favors. They have to put on lean mass and, in fact, get leaner than they were when they uh, uh, when they start the process. Uh, Matthew was able to see a kid that uh, I had that in less than two years put over 50 pounds on him. And another another guy, and he was leaner at with a 50 pounds more on him than he was at 136 pounds. So it's possible to do, but the kids have to be willing to do things that they're that uh, that they're uncomfortable with. And our our friend and mentor in at least in a different area, and I'm not happy to say he's a mentor to me being uh, almost 20 years younger, but Keegan would say you have to be uncommon. You have to do uncommon things that people aren't willing. Are you willing to do things that most people won't do? And you have to ask kids to bite their tongue and not worry about how much they lift and realize that they are getting stronger anyways. They do get a chance a couple of times a year to train pretty heavy. And the second kid that you had interviewed with me, Matthew, uh, Jace, was all worried because he was squatting in the low 100s, ass to the ground. And then for about three weeks, I had him lift heavier because his brother had to get ready for football, where they were going to be looking at how much he was lifting. And Jace, who was not a very big kid, he's about five and a half feet tall, and he was a late bloomer. And I got him at 110 pounds, or 50 kilo, basically. And now he's probably about 65 kilo. And the, the kid, though, weighing about 55 kilo, squatted 230 pounds. Ass to the ground. So it's doable. If the quality of the work is there and every little link that you work, and that's probably if you look at what Ben Patrick is saying, that that's the key issue. Every little link in the body is important, and you have to treat it as such. So of course, I, and I like to call it the sexier exercises like your benches, your squats, deadlifts, cleans, anything that you would group in that category. Of course, they're important, but not at the expense of doing the little things. The little thing, so I like to say more recently, if you have an upcoming important birthday and someone has a surprise party and they have a wonderful cake made for you, and it says, happy birthday, Stefan, and you have this cake and it's got beautiful writing on it and colors and, and the designs are great and the colors of the candles are just well, you can't wait to take a piece of that cake and eat it. That's how you want to present your body to anybody that's considering you to play at a higher level, whether you're a high school kid who wants to play at any level of college or university, or you're an aspiring professional athlete, or you're already a professional athlete looking to improve their status. That is 
why it's important to do all the little things. In fact, Aiden, the kid who put the 50 plus pounds on, I coached his father when he was 20, when he was 19 and I was 24 at the University of Massachusetts. And now he's the athletic director at a local university. And we're trying to get through to Aiden. And Aiden handles himself wonderfully. He takes all kinds of uh, accelerated classes. It's great grades. He's handsome. His body looks great. But there's a few little things that he hasn't been doing to the level that he does most of the things that he does. And yet he's still 16 years old, and you have to take into account that he's still a kid. And, but I said to him even this morning, and his father said last week, that you have to be willing to do uncommon things, things that most 16-year-olds won't do. So if you're out with your friends, and if you remember when you were 16, that you would go to McDonald's or fast food. You were going to grab something, especially late at night after you had a few drinks. Now, fortunately, there's less drinking nowadays, but there's still drinking. It's not that much different. And are you willing to do things like avoiding putting crap in your body? And it's very difficult now because most parents, both parents are working and you could sit there and prepare food or, or make sure you're choosing the right things. Or, like a kid did last year, that he was hungry and he came down to do some sled work and decided that there were three slices of pizza in his refrigerator that he heated up in the microwave and had that about 75 minutes before he came down to do sled work. And let's just say that his DNA ended up on that turf field. And it was actually a good experience because he learned that if when you don't handle yourself right, there are consequences to it. And trust me, I don't think uh, he'll be reaching for pizza anytime near a sled workout, probably a week, if it's not, a, not even an hour <laughs> next time. But that gives you, that gives you a little the, bit of a sense of what you have I to guess do. the same is true as well. For, for like the the opposite end of that as well you know there's consequences for the good things that you're doing too so like he's not going to go for the slice of pizza anymore but the, the good things that he does before the sled he might feel the difference if he's going for the correct nutrition or, or preparing himself well um i just wanted to, to jump in just to get a little bit of a background because like for myself and then i guess for the listeners as well keith you've got so much well, hearing from Matt, it's almost like Matt's been keeping you as a little bit of a secret. He doesn't, like we were joking beforehand, he didn't want to bring you onto the podcast because he was a little bit afraid that uh, it was going to be the, the S&K or the, the sorry, the, the K&C show. Now, not the, the S&C podcast. So <laughs> give the, the listeners and, and, and I guess myself a little bit of uh, background on um, what it is that you actually do. So you, you've created the brand, it's Athletist, that's how you pronounce it. Yeah. Is that true? Yep. Give us give us a little bit of detail, a little bit of background on how you've been, how you created it, um, because Matt tells me that uh, he went down and did some uh, some shooting, like as in some video uh, shooting for you to to get an online product out there and, and ready to go. And, and I've been really interested. Like Matt's just been kind of dropping little little hints and little bombshells everywhere. So I'm I'm really um, excited to learn a little bit more about what you've been doing, how you've been doing. And obviously, like you said before, 40 plus years, it's not a short time. Like it is a long span of time. So give us a little bit of detail on, on what it is that you do and, and then where you sort of go in, in the future with it all. Well, first, 
the 40 years seems to have gone by much faster than I would have thought. <laughs> I always look back when, uh, when I was in the fourth grade, uh, I was struggling in the spelling class and this kid, I was at a new school and they were, they were further along than I was and the kid was trying to help me. So rather than write uh, September 9th, 1974, he taught me how to write uh, uh, 9974 just to make it a little faster. And when I saw 74 that way, I said, what happens when we get to 2002K uh, uh, when uh, it gets to zero, zero? Do I write, have to write 200 or something like that? And uh, I said, then I said to myself, how old will I be in 26 years? And I said, 36 years old, I think it was at the time. And, uh, and that was, that's 22 years ago already, 22 and a half years ago. So it goes by very, very fast. Uh, <laughs> so when I was a kid, I was a very skinny kid. And I was just. I was told by a nutrition expert to eat as much food as I could. And I was what they call back in those days a latchkey kid, where I was, uh, my older brothers were 10 and 11 years older than I was, respectively. And I didn't have an opportunity to, uh, and my mother had to work to support three kids. Unfortunately, my father wasn't really involved and not very uh, supportive. So she had no choice. And even when I was very young, I would come home. And I was by myself for a few hours, which would never happen nowadays. But back then, it was much more accepted. And I had to learn how to feed myself. So the only healthy thing I could think of that I made back in those days were I could make scrambled eggs for myself. But if I wanted dinner, I would have a TV dinner, which is basically a pre-made dinner in tin foil that had a main meal and and. Uh, had a dessert and I would cook that for 30 minutes and that's what I would eat. And then I would have Pop-Tarts. I don't know if you're familiar with Pop-Tarts, but they were pastries basically and a cereal full of sugar in it. And that's what I knew. And I figured, well, it wasn't considered a dessert, so it was okay. So I grew up with a sweet tooth and didn't know any better. And as I was getting older, my Eating habits weren't great. I hated anything green in it, unless it was a, a McDonald's uh, mint shake that they would serve around St. Patrick's Day. And uh, so I got into terrible eating habits, and I graduated high school weighing only 160 pounds, despite the fact that I was lifting weights and didn't know any better. Probably the most healthy thing I ate back in those days were the post-workout shakes. That was that was probably it and I never understood why uh, that I was skinny and no one educated me to that and then later on over time I realized that I had a kid I knew it conceptually but sometimes you have to actually experience this I had a kid who was 6 8 and 195 pounds and he lived in the inner city he was three percent body fat he was the leanest guy I've ever seen. And trust me, I didn't start him. I didn't get him to 3% body fat. That's what he showed up as. You've never seen. Uh, there was one other guy I could think of that was already pretty lean. It was ridiculous. Both of them could jump out of the building. They were both north of 40 inches vertical. 
And uh, this kid uh, partied, so he drank alcohol, he smoked weed, and he was eating McDonald's, Kentucky Fried Chicken, and other great fast foods on a regular basis. And he says, I can't gain weight. And he said, and he started seeing other guys who were eating the way we were asking our guys to eat. And he says, I said, if you're willing to do it, I guarantee your body will start putting size on. And for the next four months, he ate the way I asked him to eat. And I said, you can't drink because alcohol is going to, uh, between alcohol and weed, you're castrating yourself and turning yourself into a woman. And shockingly, he uh, he found his way into eating the way we asked. It's, just, it's very hard to take someone who's used to being uh, handling themselves in one way and handling themselves in another. And in four months, he weighed 227, and he was still under 5% body fat. And this is because when you're that lean and your body, and he was high fast twitch fiber, it wasn't really that difficult. Let's just say, though, I got many accusations of putting him on steroids. And I actually took it as a compliment. <laughs> but that's what happens when you put everything together. If the cake mix is good and they follow the instructions, out will come a cake that you can be proud of. But if you were to ask me to put together that type of a birthday cake, as in a real birthday cake, uh, there's nobody who would eat it, at least on the way it looked. It probably tastes okay. <laughs> but I discovered how important nutrition was at that level after I went through that experience. I knew it was, and I gradually did, on a personal level, eat better. But I didn't realize how important it was until I watched what happened to that gentleman. And that took me till I was 35 years old to realize that. So I was already seeing uh, Charles, but the nutrition part of it didn't quite etch through. It was beginning to build. And that's where you guys nowadays really have an advantage because you're young and uh, you're already exposed to these things. And it's vital that they handle themselves. So you could see them two to four hours a week. It's what are they doing in those other 160 plus hours is going to determine what their outcome is going to be. And uh, so I dealt I dealt with professional athletes, and in some some avenues I still do, but it's more on a project basis than it is that I'm trying to have hundreds of professional athletes to work with. Because in general, uh, most of them don't want to do what it takes to the level that they think and what you think. There's a, there's a, uh, there's a gap between the two of them. And they also expect it for nothing, despite the fact that many of them are making a lot of money because of their status and, and where may, they may have grown uh, may have grown up in. So what they value and how they value it, in many cases, is not at the same level. 
one of my professional basketball players about 15 years ago uh, had a son in the eighth grade and he was divorced and the son was living in Pittsburgh with his mom while his dad was still playing professionally over in Europe. And so unlike most divorce cases where you, the kid would see the father uh, at least once a week and every other weekend, the father would get his son for two months in the summer instead. And when the kid got into the eighth grade, he was a highly ranked basketball player and knew that he wanted to be with his father. So he moved to Boston, the Boston area, went to private school for three years. And I went to a different private school and it's actually in the Navy SEALs of all things, right? Versus playing professionally. That's a different story for a different time. But my point is, is when he went to the private school and I was starting to see some highly rated players, I was very surprised because I was removed for the most part from watching young people who now were playing the sport year-round in club situations. So in America, they call basketball, baseball, AAU, and that's the, that's the club situation that they play in. Soccer, they just call it club. I don't know if there's a name for it, Matthew, or not. <laughs> same thing in, same thing in uh, hockey. But the kids are now engaged in the world of basketball for ten and a half months out of the year. And they don't have a true off season. And the parents, because they're investing so much money in it, want to make sure they're getting full value for the amount of money that they pay. And we try to advise them to not have them play in the fall so they could at least have their fall as their off season as opposed to the summer. Because the summer in club basketball through mid-August is very important long-term if they have the potential to play uh, at the university level. We discovered that I was looking at kids who didn't know how to incorporate strength training into these very busy schedules. So it's one thing when we say, uh, I'm, a, I'm a personal trainer and I want to deal with a busy executive. Everybody says they want to deal with a busy executive and every executive is fucking busy. Big, it's normal. But the kids truly now are very busy and have a lot of moving parts. And we didn't grow up with a phone. We didn't grow up with the Internet. I don't know how the kids do it nowadays with all these different things they're going to do it. But I guess when you grow up in it, uh, you get used to it and how to navigate all of it. But it's still a lot because the kids playing their sport, a number of the kids also play a number of sports. I had one kid who was playing basketball for the school team while he was playing club volleyball in the winter, and then vice versa in the spring, and developed severe knee tendonitis bilaterally. And I wonder why. And the look on his face when I told him he had to back off for about three to six weeks, I would have done anything for a picture of that. But I don't want to embarrass him. But that's, a, that's the norm. And what I started noticing when we were dealing with the college players is that there was a big change about 15 years ago in college basketball where if you were in Division One, and I'm sure it's like this for football and other sports, you have to graduate X percentage of the kids that you have in, otherwise you lose scholarships. So they decided to make training year-round at the school so that you would go to – 
and actually be in school in the summer and take one or two classes per, uh, per summer session. But what that opened up was that they were allowed to see you for 20 hours a week in the summer. And the coaches were training their kids as if uh, they had to be in, in unbelievable shape in the offseason. So it's July 1st, and they're expecting these kids to be in 110% condition when their first game isn't until around November 10th. Why the fuck do they have to be in perfect shape November 10th? I'm not saying for them to be in zero shape, but not until November 10th. Or if they're in football, August 1st, when they have to work, go report for their, their fall. Uh, preseason workouts for a month. But they kill the kids. They wonder why there's a right, uh, such a ridiculous number of injuries. Kids don't have an off-season. So I'm looking at these kids, and they were all wearing high school kids wearing knee tendonitis straps, <laughs> which were called Copax back in my day, because that's what the name of the brand was. You hardly saw kids wearing co-pads when I was in high school. And now you go to any club tournament and you'll see kids wearing co-pads on a regular basis or some type of knee tendonitis strap or knee sleeves. And it's commonplace and it's normal. I had one kid about six years ago who literally had tendonitis for eight years and thought the pain was normal. Classic when you... <laughs> Well, hobbling into the gym, once you got warmed up, you felt great. And then within a few hours after you were done, your knees were killing you. And that was supposed to be normal operating procedure. And that's what we're dealing with nowadays. So the reason why I tell you all of that is going from being pressed for time and working six to 12 weeks with the kids, it's how do you incorporate workouts into whether in school they're playing six days a week with their team, whether it's game, two games or three some weeks, and the rest of the days being hard practices. Because the coaches have to have, my team has to be tougher than yours, so we're going to be in better condition. Versus in the offseason, they have weekend tournaments where they could play at least four to six games starting Friday night and two practices a week. So they're actually a little less encumbered, but it's still a lot. Now throw on top of that that they actually have to do real schoolwork, and the parents are demanding that their kids are good students, and they make sure that they have tutors, and they make sure that they have college prep people and college essay writers and every last thing to get their kid an advantage. And now... If the kid's good and the parents have the ability to do it, the kid's in private school. In private school, a good one, and there are many in my area, it's very popular for very strong private schools, are 50 grand a year. 50K a year for private school. And then on top of it, they're paying for trainers, they're paying for AAU, club, and all the other shit that they need. And that's normal operating procedure for them. That's what we're dealing with. So you ask, how can you get 
great results. I'm getting these results training the kids twice during their club seasons and their slight off seasons and once a week during the season. Because if I do more, I have someone that will do more. But Matthew saw an example or a couple of examples of kids who were clearly dead because two of them were coming off of games where he saw a very intense basketball game against a rival. And you could see that their legs, one kid was, my legs are killing me. So I hardly did anything for his legs, but I gave him some uh, a tune-up at the neuro uh, neurological work I do, functional neurology. And we did upper body. And that's where it's different. That's my situation that I'm in. You have to determine what your situation is and how to apply the principles within your landscape. And that's the art of it. You have to have science as a background, but you have to take that information. How do you apply it in your situation? That's a context. And I would say for Matthew, that had to be his, uh, he had, I'm sure, plenty of ahas, but that was probably the surprising aha from the training standpoint. At first, it was sort of shocking to kind of show up, and I, I almost had this idea in my mind that it was like, "All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna show up there, and Keith is gonna have these super elaborate programs that I can like copy. I'm not gonna have any idea what's going on, but then I can take." And it was it very much was kids in season giving them what they were lacking and all the other stuff they do, and give them sort of the minimal effective dose so they can still have their energy in the other places. So it, that was fairly eye-opening and it was an interesting thing. Uh, one one thing, so program what you do with kids varies a lot between sport and what you're doing, but I want to back up and hit on the diet point again because you've had so much success of putting size and mass, functional mass, functional hypertrophy on these kids. Where uh, what what are your kind of diet guidelines for these athletes? So with that diet, most of them most of them are sugarholics and weed weedaholics, and sugar. Uh, if the, if your body fat's above ten percent, and that's a polyquinism for sure, then you're considered fat. But the reality is is that you're at least somewhat insulin resistant you have trouble which means in a nutshell that the extra calories that you eat if you're trying to get bigger are going to be shuttled to your fat cells and we want extra calories shuttled to your muscle cells so you have to get them leaner so how can if they're fat how can we already begin that process we begin that process by not spiking insulin all the time so yes Insulin's the mother hormone, and if we're not controlling sugar, that is going to affect our ability to be able to get the kids to grow uh, from, from a muscular standpoint. When somebody comes into you when their body fat's a little bit high or very high, that means they've gotten much better at storing body fat than they are at burning body fat. 
but we've got to create a culture in the body that is helpful in turning that from you storing fat more easily and becoming better at burning fat more easily and supporting muscle mass gains by driving extra calories into your muscle cells and then creating through your programming an environment where the muscles actually, it'll sound funny the way I say it, want to get bigger. But the, the raw materials are there for it to take place. And so I do believe in, lo in low or at least lower glycemic index carb eating. So definitely high protein and lower glycemic carb eating. So brown rice, sweet potato, quinoa, that type of stuff. And eating greens. Now I know more recently the buzz is intermittent fasting, uh, carnivore diets, uh, that type of stuff. And those are, have their, their tools and they have their place. But for kids who are running around a lot, asking them to eat a carnivore diet, and I know some kids have been asked to, and ironically, the kids that I know that are on carnivore diets because some young trainers that they're going to are following it are actually not having the same level of success because they actually have carbohydrate needs. You just want to try to feed them any carbs that they're going to have in a state where they're a little more insulin sensitive. So we give them, we give them a few little tricks to consider, like taking strolls after they eat if there's some sugar in their diets. And if there's some, uh, if, if after practice or after them they're being very active, they try to get them lightly active in a situation where they don't have to do anything active by taking a stroll. It's, uh, uh, there's a bodybuilder, Stan Efforting, that's really big on that. There's, uh, there's an anti-aging guy out there, Ben Greenfield, that, uh, that believes in that. There's a lot of people out there. But that little light exercise that you do after eating something that might be borderline high carb or higher carb than you should be eating is a great way to give yourself some insurance that you're not working against yourself. The wheat part is quietly a killer because wheat, at least, I don't know how it is down under, but in when I was a kid, you could eat a bagel and not get fat. But as time went on, they genetically modified the wheat, and wheat has not been. Uh, there's one gentleman out there who's really big on on getting GMO wheat out of your life, and he says that there are 200 proteins that the body hasn't evolved to be able to deal with. So when you put that in your body, your body's acting as if that you've got something foreign in there. And when there's something foreign in there, you increase inflammation and you create and you increase cortisol. Now, cortisol is a normal hormone and it's very important. And there's plenty of people out there talking about cortisol cycles, which you should understand. But in general, if your cortisol is higher than it should be relative to your own natural cortisol levels, then you're actually in a catabolic state. 
And on top of it, when cortisol is high, your brain is trying to basically react by trying to get you to do things that are going to lower the excess cortisol. And in young kids, what are they going to do? They're going to reach for sweets because sweets temporarily lower cortisol by increasing insulin. But then you create what they call over time an insulin cortisol seesaw. And that's quietly what's going on. And that puts them in a major league fat storing state. And that affects your ability to build muscle tissue. So it's very important for them to really focus on decreasing the sugar overall. And the sugar that they eat tends to have, it's not going to be perfect, but definitely affects your blood sugar and your insulin levels differently. And here's the big thing. The big thing is I have a kid who's a 290-pound lineman, and his mother got into functional nutrition, and she was scared because the kid's a very big kid. 290 pounds, you're talking, you know, uh, you're in the 135-kilo-plus area. It's a lot of weight for a kid who's 16 years old. And his mother thought I was nuts when I said there's no restriction on the amount of food that you can eat. In fact, he doesn't eat enough. So I know there are people out there who are getting lean. They, they've, they watch their macros, their micros, or this, those, and that, those. And if you have someone who's into that, that's, that's fine. And if that works, that's great. But on top of everything else, if you're asking most kids to deal with that, uh, that's probably not going to work well at the end because you're already asking them to make significant changes in their life. So I'm a big believer, if you're hungry, you eat, and you should eat plenty of protein. And if you keep on being hungry, you eat more protein. And you can have some clean carbs, but I would I would try to eat more clean carbs post-workout. But I will say this, it's become very popular in a local high school that there are about 12 or 15 of my athletes that are now going to school with chicken and rice in their thermoses. Because if you eat that school lunch, you are going to get fat. It's, it's absolute crap. I wouldn't feed I wouldn't feed a dog I hate that food. I'm not even sure I would eat the, uh, the mouse that might be in my house that food. I mean, they have some, they really have some nerve calling that food. But that's what the kids eat. In fact, about Five, six years ago, the, probably the best athlete in my son's grade saw my son. So my son was trying to get bigger, and he was eating three cheeseburgers. So I said, are you eating the bread? I said, at least have the three cheeseburgers without all the bread. So just make it a triple burger just to get him to do something. And one of the kids popped off, the best athlete in his grade popped off, that the bread's the healthiest part of the meal. It's like you're talking about bleached bread. I mean, bleached bread. I mean, I guess our stomachs are. are nice I, I had large. a um, I had a conversation. <laughs> they are now. 
I had a I had a conversation working with um, the soccer team, my old soccer team that I played for. Where I'm, I'm doing um, some strength work with, with a couple of the players there, and I was at training with them, and we were talking about nutrition. And I'm no nutrition expert, so for me, it's just about what I've been learning um, and trying to get the most new nutrient dense food into me has changed my life significantly because I was just like you, Keith. Sugar for me when I was a kid, it was just like I saw it and I already felt energized before I even put it in my mouth. I felt like that buzz hit me before I'd even gone and got put it in my mouth. And we're talking about, you know, oh, what's what's one thing that you'd have for breakfast, Steph? And it's like, or oh, what's the best? What's your what's your go to breakfast? And I was like, you know, I, I enjoy steak and eggs. For me, like that's something that I really really enjoy. And I know that it's it's now it's seen as like real real taboo to have steak and eggs. And one of the boys uh, reached, he was sitting down next to me, and he's like, oh. What, why would you why would you do that for? And it's like, yeah, you know, I love putting like butter over the top of the steak and, and cooking with butter and that. And he's like, oh, isn't that unhealthy? And like, how so? And he's like, well, you got to be having like nutlegs and all that sort of stuff. And for those who, who don't know what nutlegs is, it's pretty much just a bunch of preservatives and numbers and acids mixed into one tube with that looks like butter and spreads like butter, but it's completely different to what, what butter is. And I remember the next day he sent me a photo of he had – pack of English muffins and a, a tub of nutlegs and he was he was spreading the nutlegs over his English muffins and it's like it, I can relate to what you were saying because you've got kids that are severely um, in terms of knowledge they think what they're doing like you spoke about with the bread they think oh the bread's the best bit it's, is it because you don't know or is it because you've been told different or is it because just your knowledge at that time is is not where it should be. So do you feel sometimes you're kind of working against a brick wall where you've got some kids that are very, very hard to, to change um, because they've been doing something for a long period of time and they're afraid to change? Or is it like they're ready to make that change because they're coming to see you? I'm in a fortunate situation now because at the local high school, every kid's watched their, their friends getting bigger and stronger at a faster rate. And so then they want they want to learn how, and then they all want they all want that. So once you establish that they are capable of getting those results, it does make life a lot easier. And then the ones still always do some that aren't compliant or think they're doing a little bit better, uh, but the results don't lie. You know, I had another kid that Matthew met who uh, uh, went off and. He was doing very well a year ago in the spring. He weighed about 230 pounds, and he was beginning to lose fat. A nice kid, probably too nice for his own good, <laughs> and very nice parents, almost too nice for their own good. And he went off and decided he loved his summer camp, and he was at the age where he decided to become a counselor in training or a CIT. And he ended up working six days a week, 14 hours a day, and had mainly barely one to two hours a day to himself, but he was exhausted. So he tried to train that way, and then he was also stuck eating the food that the camp served. And I would say out of the 21 meals he was getting at camp, he was describing them to me, I would say maybe... 15 to 20 percent of them were decent. The rest of them had major flaws in it. And when you're already fat and your body is 
fantastic at storing fat. It's the worst thing. You you unfortunately slash fortunately have to be pretty tough and say you have to be willing for a short period of time to gain some momentum by getting your body to change and adapt to a different way of eating. And it's not a starvation diet because most people who are heavy and fat think they need to lose weight, which is a huge mistake because they'll usually lose muscle and fat. And when they can't sustain it anymore, then they get fatter. And the fatter that you get, the tougher it is. But I can definitely, there'll be kids who are like, you're out of your, you're crazy, you're out of your mind to eat this way. But when you start stacking success stories after success stories, and that's what I'm looking to begin to teach our younger people who are getting in the industry, because remember, I didn't really fully understand it until my mid-30s. I mean, I would say, eat healthy. This is what I would do to eat healthy, but not as strictly until I got to my mid-30s. And that's where young guys have a huge advantage. If they get started early in that, they have a chance to gain early success in the, their results. And that's a great opportunity for them to build uh, their business. You get results, you're going to get business. And so the going back to the kid, the kid uh, didn't have as good a season as he wanted, and he's disenchanted. And I believe he's actually quitting quitting playing football for his last year. And then I find out from a, another guy, they see him in McDonald's. And they say he's getting big and fat, which is unfortunate. Because he's a great kid. I'm actually going to try to talk him out of it, mainly for his health. Not worried about whether he plays a sport or not. But he's, uh, it's, uh, it, it's terrible. And it's terrible for someone who has a propensity to, to get big and, and to be heavy. Because if you're heavy now, wait till they start having to deal with adult things. It's much more challenging for adults when you get to deal with uh, uh, your, uh, you may not know this yet. I, I don't know if you're with somebody special, but when you start to have to deal with somebody else in your life, then there are responsibilities that go with that. And then when you have kids, I've got a couple, and they're 25 and 19, respectively, at this time. And there are still issues that you have to deal with, which are a normal part of being a parent. But there's still issues you have to deal with, and there are stresses that are associated with that. Now, does that mean that you, should, you shouldn't have kids? No. But you, uh, you have to... Uh, Take that all into account. So the point is, is to get into great habits early so you have them so that you can prevent a lot of extra crap that you're going to have to deal with down the road personally and professionally. I can, I can speak. Take on, go on, Matty. Tour here. Okay. Yeah. So a little bit of a detour here. So you, when we, when I was there visiting you, you kind of showed me around that wall behind you and the 
other all the other information you have stored from so so many people over the years. Who obviously besides Charles, who we've mentioned already, who kind of had the most effect on you in terms of building what you do and how you do things and make it a two-part question. What are you most excited about now that you're learning? Uh, that's a tough question to answer. I think, uh, I think in terms of uh, people that to learn from, I think any descendant of Polyquin is at least a good start for people. Because at least from a structure standpoint, that's where that's where it's very very uh, uh, important to at least have some form of a structure, and then you can build it out any which way you want. Uh, I don't think there's enough of that going on. I think what you find is because it's he's he built his program design based on principles, and what you see a lot of people doing. A little more of is this is this style and this is what we like to do and they make it a little more recipe oriented and less thinking oriented. So I think it's a it's a multi pronged question where yes you should learn from people who have had success with athletes and take what you learn from them and then how does it actually apply to your situation? You might decide that a lot applies and you might decide that only a few percentage points apply and even if it's only a little bit it doesn't mean that it's a waste of time to be exposed to different people i would say that what i think is important for if you're into strength coaching is yes pick a few people that it might be local there are good people in australia uh, that are out there. There are good people in England. There are good people all over the world to learn from who are solid and can help you with a foundation. But I do think the uh, the principles that anybody uses that Charles talked about are a great foundational point to build off of. And I do think that uh, ATG has been very good in terms of uh, talking more about how you have to train each link i like to call it link of the body where a lot of people tend to train the hips too much from a muscular standpoint that i think is uh that i think is uh, very prominent when you watch uh, college football players squat or they try to squat like power lifters but they're not even held to that standard most of them squat above parallel and but it's a hip dominant squat so a lot of what they do is hip dominant from a muscular training standpoint so i think that needs to be balanced out that's one of the reasons why knees and ankles can't tolerate the amount of force that is developed in the hips the hips of course are the strongest area of the body and nothing is going to exceed that but if the knees are too weak for the hips or the ankles are too weak for the force production, force created by the hips and the knees together. That leads to potential issues. So you have an epidemic of ACL injuries. Even the most notable to me is was the uh, uh, 
the Saquon Barkley one of a few years ago, where it was mainly a non-contact injury. And there's a guy who was, who's an outrageous physical talent. Incredible legs. Squatting over 600 pounds on the internet. In a decent range, too. Not terrible, but hip-dominant. And now, uh, and then in the world of basketball, how many Achilles tendon injuries need to continue to happen until someone actually starts dealing with it appropriately? But you can argue that you had Evan Durant, Kobe Bryant, the late Kobe Bryant, uh, DeMarcus Cousins. I mean, unbelievable three of the top players of their time. DeMarcus Cousins has never been the same since Clay Thompson blowing an Achilles after coming off an ACL. Unbelievable. And then I had a kid who played for Villanova, was one of the captains, and uh, they grinded their way through the NCAA tournament, and with just a, around a minute or so left in the game, the second best scorer, and on some nights their first best scorer, a guy named Justin Moore, blew his Achilles. And now he's a senior year, and he's still rehabbing it. And to lose one of your best players at that time, so they went to the Final Four shorthanded. Uh, that didn't work out too well for them. To me, most of that stuff can be uh, prevented and is unnecessary. And it's uh, and why people aren't looking at it to the level of figuring it out is beyond me. So I think you know, that's where Ben Patrick has it right, and I think Keegan Smith has it right with looking at his version of uh, strength curves in the short range and the long range. I think those are very important concepts. But I think you have to have an order and to incorporate all that stuff. You have to have an understanding of the principle. That's why I like the, the Charles and some of the descendants of, of people of Charles are teaching. I think is a great place to start. Uh, I think if I was to do it over again, I would have probably considered going to chiropractic school or physical therapy. At minimum, somebody should go and learn some form of body work, like massage therapy, so that they have the chance to uh, be able to put their hands on people. So if they do soft tissue work, I think that's got some value to it. And learn functional neurology. And something I'm beginning to dive in a little bit more is fascial training. Because I think that might be, uh, I think there's, it's still relatively new. And I think there's, uh, there's a lot of confusion. And I think that might be an untapped uh, resource that could certainly be out there in the community. But you can go out and learn all those things without the principles as a foundation. I think uh, I think you're going to have a little bit of a leak in the in the uh, or 
you're going to lose potential levels of results without having all that in place. Because even I see the, uh, the people who are on ATG and they'll talk constantly talk about, uh, I've got this injury and I've got that injury and I've got that injury. And I'm not sitting there saying that, uh, that it's ATG's fault, certainly. It's, I think people get overzealous because they get so excited and aren't willing to say, well, I need to build a foundation. And am I truly ready for this? And am I willing to let it manifest? I don't realize that Ben Patrick spent 10 plus years building his body to this level. It's a long time. And uh, so you can you can get results and make progress early, but everybody's in a, in a rush. And some people are going to naturally respond better than others, and that has to do with a lot of factors. Keith, do you, do you believe that having worked with a significant amount of young athletes, do you believe that there's that small minority of kids, and I guess you can call it gifted, where they can get away with a lot of different things to what the majority of kids couldn't? So whether it's training more, whether it's not focusing on strength training, whether it is nutrition, do you think that it's a majority of kids don't have that we'll use those three aspects of you know the, the overtraining the, the lack of strength training and then the poor nutrition do you think a lot of kids if they were to fix one or maybe two of those things it would significantly change their trajectory and where they were going where they were heading for their sport and that's i would like i said that would probably be a majority from your experience yeah so i would answer that two ways one i think there are kids in many aspects of sports that get get away with it because they have a natural talent or they're natural in some areas. So you have some guys who can jump out of the building. So they're able to, uh, or they're faster. So because they can jump higher and they're faster and maybe more physically dominant, that that might prevent them from caring as much about the actual skills of their particular sport because they're able to get by without it. And obviously, when you watch, uh, uh, in America, you watch ESPN, and they have the plays of the week, and you get there's always at least one or two ridiculous dunks that you'll see, uh, or athletic plays, and that's that's fantastic. Uh, there's no doubt that the kids have no idea what they. I like to say is what you thought 100% was, and what 100% really is. So there was a classic case where uh, a mentor of mine took a guy who was a professional athlete, and he was a well-known functional alcoholic. And this functional alcoholic uh, was getting into his mid-30s and was noticing that the younger players were starting to get paid a lot of money, even though despite his, uh, his drinking habit, he was still one of the top players at his position in the sport. And, but he realized that he, he wanted to get hang in longer and make the kind of money that the young kids were beginning to make. So he did very well, but he was looking at a great opportunity to see if he could challenge himself and get, a, at that time, a bigger contract, which was much going to be much harder at 35 years old to do. So he went out to see uh, 
Charleston, Arizona. And Charles said, no alcohol until the weekend. And so to the guy's credit, it had to be tough. He had no alcohol. And, but at the same time, he was given nutrition, he was given supplementation, things to uh, obviously replace it in the short term. And he was already starting to notice he was feeling a little bit better. And then Saturday night, he went out and just got wasted at tons of alcohol. Sunday felt like shit. Monday, he goes in to work out, and he says, I don't have... I don't understand why I feel like shit. I did everything you asked. And Charles said to him, now you know the difference between 100%, what you thought was 100%, and what really is 100%. And the guy actually was able on that because he actually went through the experience of feeling like shit after beginning to feel, and it wasn't even yet 100%, but feeling significantly better than what he thought was 100%. He got the message, and and he ended up playing for another five or so years and getting those contracts he wanted, which was great. So this, so that's obviously an older athlete, but you can take the lesson and extrapolate it all the way down. The earlier you get started, like I imagine if I graduate, if I if I knew what I know now when I was 14, 15 years old, and I ate better. I certainly wouldn't have graduated high school at 160 pounds. And I probably would have had a few more opportunities. I did play a lot, uh, at the two-year school level in college and probably could have played in Division Three, but didn't. And uh, realized, looking back at it, if I was 180 pounds and in better shape and much stronger and more athletic, that I probably would have been more... Uh, I had more options and would have been more likely to have played at a four-year college right away. So the answer to your, is a resounding yes. The earlier you can get them the, to handle themselves better, and that's in all aspects. A lot of the kids stay up late at night talking to their girlfriends or they're playing video games all night or hanging out with their friends all night. And look, it's great. We all we all went through that. We all have people we're close to. Totally understandable. But what are you willing to do to find your A game? Be special. That is what is most important. The earlier the kids get closer to that, the earlier they're going to make some amazing progress. There's a lot of untapped progress. And the good news about kids is that kids are still morphing into adulthood on a, physio on a physiological level. So the reason why they make they make these gains is that their body's ready to make these jumps. You just have to create the right environment around it. But now there's so, there's so many options taking up everybody's money. We all are overloaded with information, overloaded with options, and that it's very hard to turn any down. And so there are definitely different challenges today than there certainly were when I was uh, in high school. But the main principles are still the same. How are you handling yourself? What are you willing to do that your competitor is not? Many times, 
this was something I, I dealt also with the general public and personal training. And I had a lot of executives and I would work with their wives and, their, and occasionally even their daughters. And they would always whine to me about how come I'm not losing any weight? Because you're not doing everything necessary. So it might be there might be 30 things you need to do for some people who are genetically gifted, maybe five to ten. But some might have to do 30 things. And you're doing five more things, that's great. But that might not be enough. In anything that you do, there are certain steps, and we're all guilty of this. We take some steps, and sometimes we don't take all the steps we need to take for, for it to be successful. And that's, that's uh, certainly what it takes. Keith, I know, I know you have to run in a couple minutes, um, so we'll try not to hold you over as much as we'd like to. But uh, just maybe to round it out now so that you have a minute or two in between, where can, so, where can everybody uh, find you, get in touch, reach out? Athletist, uh, Athletist on the Facebook page, A-T-H-L-E-T-I-S-T. I have a website, athletist.com. Uh, I'm, I'm on Instagram. Uh, anybody who's uh, interested in reaching us can certainly uh, send me a direct message or email me at Keith, currently at my name, Keith Alpert, at gmail.com as well. Awesome. Steph, where can everybody find you? Yeah, everyone knows uh, if they've been listening for a while. So Coach Carly with the three eyes just on Instagram. Um, before we do go, Keith, I wanted to personally thank you as well because, like I said, Matt has spoken very, very, very highly of the conversations that he's been having with you and the connection that he's made. And I really do hope that um, we can see you again on here soon and we can slowly start to shift that name from the S&C to the, the K&C podcast. That'd be, that'd be great. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, no, but seriously, it's been, it's been awesome to be able to have you on as a guest. And um, like I said, I'm, I'm super thankful and grateful to have had this time uh, to, to spend, uh, I guess, absorbing as much knowledge as possible. So thank you for, for your time. Maddie. where can everyone find you? Yeah, every score performance, Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, wherever. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Keith. You got it, guys. Thanks, thanks again for, for having coming me on. on and we uh, we'll hope to see you again soon. Watch the future and be part of the future as well. Thanks, Keith.